Welcome to the Dynasty Defined Podcast, a show discussing what is happening with the greatest dynasty in sports, the Oklahoma State Cowboys wrestling program. I'm your host, Lee Cothran, and today we are going to discuss a couple of topics that hopefully will help you get through your post-Thanksgiving dinner walk to get away from your uncle from Ada that won't shut up about how his Sooners are going to put us in our place on Saturday and that nobody cares about wrestling. Thanksgiving, Bedlam, fantasy football crunch time, basketball season heating up. There's a ton going on. So thanks for spending an hour with me this week. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know that there's a uh, the Bedlam cloud hanging over us this week. So um, uh, although very excited, again, go listen to the Feels Like 45 podcast uh, preview of the Bedlam game. They talk a lot about why we need to be confident about this one and why our pokes are going to pull this off and go into the Big 12 title game with a win on their record and that monkey off their back. So really excited to see what happens on Saturday. Uh, In the OSU wrestling orbit, a couple of news topics have come up that I want to talk about, and then we will preview the upcoming home opener against Drexel, which will be on Sunday. First, wrestling media and Twitter is obsessed with the GOAT conversation. Greatest of all time. Uh, Who is the greatest college wrestler of all time? Who is the greatest American senior level wrestler of all time? The greatest female wrestler of all time? The list goes on and on, and the conversation usually devolves around Iowans getting their panties in a twist that the answer to all of the questions is some Hawkeye wrestler that is only a goat in central Iowa, uh, maybe in the quad cities. (laughs) But uh, the unquestioned goat of American wrestling is none other than John W. Smith, the current head coach of your Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, He won six consecutive championships Uh, four world titles, and two Olympic gold medals as a senior-level competitor in the late 80s and early 90s. And he won two NCAA championships in that stretch as well. He revolutionized the low single attacks. Uh, He was slick. He was fast. He was deceptively strong. He really changed the sport. He made a VHS series outlining exactly what he was doing and how you could do it too, distributed around the world, hosted camps around the world, showed everybody what he was doing, how he was going to do it, and his opponents still couldn't stop him. Rumor has it that he was the best wrestler in the Oklahoma State wrestling room until 2012, and that he would routinely get on the mat with multiple-time NCAA All-Americans and world medalists and kick their butts. Over the past decade, there has been a bit of a challenger to Coach Smith's GOAT status, uh, Jer- Jordan Burroughs, the New Jersey native and University of Nebraska legend, has quite an impressive resume. Uh, one Olympic gold medal, five world championships, three world bronze medals, and two NCAA titles. Uh, today, Jordan put out a statement that reads, The greatest American wrestler of all time, the certified GOAT, For a decade, I've made it my professional goal to catch the man in the second photo, John Smith. The most average name in America was given to the greatest wrestler ever. Uh, 
And yet there was a time when I didn't even recognize it. My very first pair of signature wrestling shoes were actually his. A pair of Matt Wizards adorned with an embroidered John Smith signature. And at 12 years old, the only John Smith I'd ever heard of was married to Pocahontas. But over the years, I heard the stories and learned of his legacy. He was the cowboy who never missed. He was slick, smooth, and way ahead of his time. He was the first athlete of his era to hit low-level attacks consistently, and obviously, there was the six consecutive championships. Never done before, never since, and maybe never again. We wrestled in entirely different eras, and yet he was always there, in my mind, pushing me to achieve more. The road to six World and Olympic titles was not as smooth, or as soon as I expected, but I've finally arrived. So thank you, John. You set the bar, but the bar wasn't meant to stand forever. I was four years old when John won his sixth title, and who knows, maybe there's another four-year-old out there now with goat dreams preparing to pass us both. But until then, I'll be enjoying the view from here. The only question is, how long will I stay? Hashtag on to seven. So it looks like he's going to try to get one more world title here. Alex Derringer will be there to challenge him again. But there's a good chance that JB goes and gets it. Does that mean he'll take over the crown as the greatest American senior-level wrestler of all time? I don't think so. Coach Smith was forced out of international competition, out of a sense of duty to take over head coaching responsibilities at OSU due to the NCAA sanctions of the early 90s. Had he been able to focus and continue to train, there's little doubt that Coach would have been able to go get more world titles and Olympic golds. JB is great, and the things he has done for the sport to advance opportunities for athletes on the senior level are doing things that is going to make wrestling a very legitimate career option for athletes, allowing them to compete well into their late 20s and 30s. It's going to be a much more attractive option due to the groundwork that Jordan Burroughs has laid over the past decade. But I don't think he can take the crown from John Smith. Then somebody made a graphic showing the best college wrestlers by decade. Earl McCready of Oklahoma State got the title for the 1920s. Ross Flood, another Oklahoma State wrestler for the 30s. And Pat Smith, another Oklahoma State legend for the 1990s. But Dan Gable got the nod for the 1960s. Now, Gable was a great wrestler, two-time NCAA champion, only lost one match as a varsity wrestler at Iowa State, and went on to win an Olympic gold. He also might be the greatest college coach ever for what he accomplished at Iowa, as much as I may hate to admit that, and as much as I may hate him for allegedly playing a hand in cutting Coach Smith's senior-level career short, by reporting OSU's violations. Violations that Iowa was almost certainly committing as well. But regardless, the best college wrestler of the 1960s was not Dan Gable at Iowa State. It was Yohiro Yutaki from Oklahoma State. Yohiro Yutaki never lost a match in three years of NCAA competition. In a time when you could only be a varsity wrestler for three years. He not only didn't lose a match, reportedly he only gave up one takedown in his entire three-year NCAA career. He gave, he gave up zero offensive points in the Olympics after his sophomore year at Oklahoma State 
on his way to winning gold in 1964. He also didn't compete at all between 1964 and 1968 outside of NCAA competition. And in 1968, he won an Olympic gold again. So Yohiro Yutaki is unquestionably the, the greatest wrestler of the 1960s in college wrestling. And he's probably one of the three or four greatest college wrestlers of all time. Um, obviously, uh, you have your Kale uh, Sanderson, who is up there. But Yohiro Yutaki, I don't think many people really argue that if they know about him, he was the best. And uh, Spencer Lee, the great Iowa wrestler, backs that up. He's been talking about it on Twitter. Seth Duckworth's been talking about it. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, they're having at it on Twitter. Seth's been tweeting about it quite a bit. So yeah, GOAT conversations are littered with Oklahoma State names, mostly because wrestling started before 1974, a fact that Iowa fans have trouble grasping, and we have a long history of producing excellence. Something I want to dig in more as this podcast goes along, and we'll definitely talk about more of the history of our program and why we should be proud of it. Now, we'll move on to the Drexel Duel, uh, and we'll uh, discuss the highlight matches, um, what's interesting, what's the biggest match of the night, where's the biggest chance for an upset, how many bonus matches will there be, um, we'll see what the final score will be as we've been doing in these previews along the way. So we'll just keep it simple here. Uh, this one should be a pretty straightforward duel. Uh, Drexel, you know, they have some solid wrestlers and it's a good program, but uh, they're pretty o- overmatched in this one. So it, it's going to be a pretty straightforward one and uh, should result in a dominant win for the post. At 125 pounds, Mastro, who's ranked number 15, which we could talk about, he kind of got jobbed on rankings. He beat the number five wrestler in the weight class, and he jumped up four spots. And McKee, who was number five, dropped seven spots. So um, either they really respect the 14 guys ahead of Mastro a lot, or uh, um, they... uh, weren't really impressed with Mastro's win, which Mastro kind of dominated McKee. I don't really understand the thought process behind that ranking, but uh, it'll work itself out in the wash. It's still early in the season, and uh, I think Mastro's going to end up being a uh, top six or seven guy by February anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I'm sure Mastro doesn't really care, but uh, he's going to take on Antonio Menino, a senior from Deptford, New Jersey. Uh, Masters is the reigning Big 12 Wrestler of the Week, uh, so he's got that going for him, which is nice. And uh, he's, he's going to um, face a, an experienced wrestler here in Menino, who was the 33 seed for the 2020 NCAAs. Uh, and it looks like he took a red shirt in 20, 
21. So he didn't compete last year, but, uh, um, Unfortunately, he didn't get to wrestle in the NCAAs in 2020. I'm sure he's going to be uh, trying to accomplish that here in his final season at Drexel. But uh, regardless, even though he's an experienced wrestler and Mastro uh, has certainly shown that he can make a mistake here and there, um, I, I don't think that's going to necessarily happen in this one. Uh, Mastro seems to have cleaned up a lot of those things and I, I think he's going to coast to a, a pretty easy decision in this match, putting the pokes up three to nothing immediately out of the gate. And then we'll see again, that great one, two punch that we've really gotten used to over the past several years. When Dayton takes the match, he's going to take on Dion Pleasant, a freshman from Piscataway, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, Dayton's going to do what Dayton does against guys like this, especially a freshman. You know, it's it's a guy who um, just hasn't really wrestled much at this level. Uh, he didn't really wrestle much as a junior wrestler. Um, his accolades just really aren't there. It's impressive that he went and won the job as a freshman at Drexel, but uh, I think Dayton's going to handle him pretty easily. I would imagine that a tech fall is certainly on the table here. I would love to see Dayton work to that. Go get a tech fall. Go get a pin. You know, that's what we want to see from Dayton Fix. You know, he got called out um, last year after his suspension by several guys in the national wrestling media. Dayton doesn't score bonus points. He doesn't, he doesn't get pins. He doesn't pin guys. He doesn't get tech falls. He doesn't really get major decisions. He just goes out and he wrestles and he wins and he's technically sound and he does what he needs to do to take care of business. And up to the Big 12 finals, he proved them wrong. He bonused everybody. So um, I know that, you know, we haven't necessarily seen him do that this year, but uh, would really not be nice to see Dayton take the opportunity here against a overmatched wrestler and really pack it on. Uh, I think I'm going to pick Dayton to finish a tech fall, which is going to put the pokes up um, eight to nothing here early. <clears throat> Carter Young is ranked number 28, and he's going to take on. Tyler Williams, a junior from Telford, Pennsylvania. JD Money asked on Twitter, how much weight or muscle does Carter need to gain? Or was his performance in Minnesota just off? Look to me like he's small for the weight. Um, and yeah, JD, I don't necessarily disagree that he is a little bit small for 141. I don't think he necessarily needs to put on a lot of weight. Um, or even necessarily a lot of muscle, he'll grow into that weight class because I think he is a more natural 133 right now. But um, I also think that he was technically a very strong wrestler at Minnesota. Um, he was able to get to Berglund's land, uh, leg. Uh, he was able to um, make some things happen. But there was just a 
leverage position that Berglund got an advantage over Carter in that ended up being the difference in the match. If Carter keeps his balance a little bit better and maybe works the other leg, he wins, right? He wins his debut in Minnesota. So I think there may have been some jitters there. I think there may have been some inexperience, right? Versus an experienced wrestler in Berglund um, that uh, he just wasn't necessarily prepared for. And that ended up being the difference in that 6-4 decision loss for Carter. Um, I don't think that kind of thing is going to happen again. I think that Carter is going to learn from that. Uh, We know that he's a very cerebral wrestler. He puts losses out of mind quickly. And uh, honestly, I think that, you know, eliminating that distraction early is good for any wrestler. You know, you don't need to go four years undefeated. Uh, You just need to go four years and finish in the top eight all four years. So I think he's going to put that behind him. And I think he's going to go win this match on Sunday, certainly. But continue to show that he is uh, what we expect him to be. A really strong, technically sound, um, fast, and uh, talented wrestler. And I I expect him to really bounce back from that uh, loss here and, and pick up a decision win against the junior from Drexel. Which is going to put the pokes up 10 to nothing going into 149, where G, who's ranked number 24, is going to take on Luke Nickter, Nickter, a sophomore from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, Nickter was a 2021 NCAA qualifier, and he was majored by uh, Abbas from Stanford. So, uh, it was uh, not a great NCAA tournament for the sophomore from Drexel. Um, but then again, you know, not many people are going to have a lot of fun against Abbas from Stanford. Uh, G, I think that he's going to settle into the weight. He said in an interview that it was a rough cut for him going to Palo Alto and that he's adjusting to being down at 149 pounds. So, um, I really expect him to have been settled in here and to really dominate this one and pick up at least a major decision. If we see him work those collar ties and try to work that inside trip that he's very fond of, or maybe, um, some hip throws that I know he's also fond of, then I think we could see him finish a fall, uh, but uh, it's hard to pick falls. It's hard to ping guys in NCAA wrestling. So I, uh, I, I usually am going to steer against picking falls, but it wouldn't surprise me if G was able to do that against this opponent, especially as he's getting his groove back. But I'm going to pick him to pick up a major decision here and uh, finish 14. And, and that's going to put the pokes up 14 to nothing going into 157 pounds. And this is really, these next three are really where, um, the duel gets a little bit more interesting, uh, because the opponents are a little bit better. So Wyatt Sheets 
is ranked number 16. And he's taking on Parker Cropman, who's number 32, a graduate senior from Rochester, New York. <clears throat> Cropman transferred from Binghampton a couple of years ago, and he's a two-time NCAA qualifier. Wyatt did major him in the last duel between Drexel and Oklahoma State. Um, and uh, that was uh, an interesting match. If we recall, um, Wyatt was able to really just work his um, takedowns, right? He was able to um, uh, rack up a lot of riding time, get a turn, work two takedowns, and then that was that, right? So I, I think that uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see Wyatt do that again, although Cropman with a couple more years under his belt may be a bit tougher this time around. And uh, Wyatt being injured, coming off of surgery, um, I think he's going to continue to really just be a workman, go out, get his win however he can, and uh, and go home healthy, right? So uh, I, I'm going to pick Wyatt to finish a decision this, in this one and uh, and take a 17 nothing lead into the 165-pound match between Travis Whitlake who's ranked number five, against Evan Barzak, a graduate senior from Central Valley, New York. Barzak was a 2021 NCAA qualifier, the only time in his career that he's qualified. He didn't win any matches at NCAAs. But he's an experienced wrestler. He's somebody that has been around a little while, somebody that, uh, you know, has been a bit of a presence in the EIWA and uh, is somebody that I don't know uh, if we'll see Whitlake be able to dominate, um, mostly because I, I don't know if we'll see Whitlake dominate anybody really. Um, the criticism that was there for Dayton uh, last year really could be applied to Travis Whitlake uh, as much as I um, love the guy, and as much as his ceiling is really high, I don't know if we can rely on him to go get bonus points reliably, right? So um, I know that that's something that he's working on. Um, again, I've said it on this podcast. John Smith has said it a few times now that uh, Travis Whitley needs to get more aggressive and score more points. Um, I know he's working on it. I know that uh, he's working his offense with Joe Smith and with uh, Dustin Plott and with everybody else in the room, right? So I know that uh, this is top of mind. I know that he wants to get better in this area. Um, I'll start picking him to get bonus point wins when he uh, starts getting more bonus point wins. So hopefully uh, he gets some motivation here and, and goes and does that. But for the time being, we'll pick him to win decisions and uh, <clears throat> give the Pokes a 20 to nothing lead going into the match of the night here. So the bout of the night really is going to be at 174 pounds between number 16, Dustin Plott, and number 12, Mike O'Malley, a junior from Hasbrock Heights, New Jersey. So O'Malley is a two-time NCAA qualifier, and he's 8-0 on the season. 
with seven of his wins being by fall or tech fall, with falls against number 21 Garrett Ninehouse of Purdue and number 22 Nick Oncontrera of the University of Pennsylvania. Only one of his matches this season has made it past the first period. So O'Malley has been a man on fire here early in the season. Now, granted, his opponents, not really that impressive, um, with the exception being the wrestlers from Purdue and Penn. Um, He, in his career so far, hasn't really faced up against anybody that you could say is on the same level as Dustin Plott. Even though he's been to the NCAA tournament, even though he made it to the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament last year, he just hasn't really faced anybody that is a blue chip guy like Plot or that has the ceiling that Plot has. That's not to say that Plot's going to run away with this one, but uh, it's it's definitely going to be a test for O'Malley. I'm sure he has this one circled and is, is looking at it saying, this is my opportunity to go prove something for myself. And then on the flip side of that, I'm sure Plot is doing the same thing. Okay, where do I stand? How am I? Where do I stack up in 174 pounds, right? Um, last year didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I was hurt. I'm healthy now. Can I win the matches against guys ranked higher than me? Jason Hildreth asked, with only two matches under his belt since coming back from surgery, how do you like Plot's chances? He was sloppy at Stanford, but much cleaner and workmanlike against Minnesota. And I think that we'll see him really work a, okay, I know my shoulder's healthy. I know that I can get to guys' legs. I'm fast enough to get to an ankle, get to a leg, work collar ties, work duck unders. And I know that I can take guys down. Against O'Malley, how do I not make the mistakes I made at Stanford where I got off balance, I didn't finish takedowns, I was able to let the opponent get in on a leg? Against O'Malley, it looks like that kind of mistake is going to get you pinned. So how can you avoid that mistake, complete your takedowns, and then finish the match in the way that you finished against Minnesota where it's methodical. You get your takedowns, you get your riding time, you let him up, you go get another takedown. You dominate on top, you get out from underneath a guy who's going to be looking for a turn, or you take advantage of over-aggression from O'Malley who wants to pin you. He wants to pin the blue chip number two recruit in the country, right? So if Plot can wrestle smart, he's going to win this match. I have full faith in Dustin Plot wrestling smart. Again, nobody outworks Dustin Plot. Nobody's tougher than Dustin Plot. If he can avoid a mistake, 
and capitalize on his opponent's mistakes, he's going to win this thing. So I'm going to pick Plot by decision. I think it's going to be a very close match. I think, and I think it might be a high flyer too. I think we could see this thing be like a nine to seven or a twelve to ten type of thing, right? Like that wouldn't surprise me at all because. Again, O'Malley's going to be going for the throw. He's going to be going for throws. He's going going to be going for big moves. So if he hits some of those, you know, you have to see how Plot's going to respond. So I'm really excited for this one to see how Plot's going to stack up. I really think that Plot, again, is a guy who's going to be competing for national championships. So I expect him to win this one by outsmarting his opponent. If that's the case, the Pokes are going to take a 23-0 lead into what has been a murderer's row here at the the upper three weights when they're not wrestling Olympic gold medalists. (laughs) So at 184 pounds, number seven Dakota Gear is taking on Brian McLaughlin, a senior from Woodbridge, New Jersey. McLaughlin is a two-time NCAA qualifier at 197 pounds. And in 2020, he actually beat Nick Renan and Sam Dupre at 197 pounds, um, which those two wrestlers are really, really good. Nick Renan's a Texan uh, that was wrestling at NC State, and Sam Dupre was at Binghamton. Um, Both guys, NCAA qualifiers, all Americans, I'm pretty sure. So McLaughlin can wrestle, wrestle. Um, which Dakota gear do we get? Do we get Stanford Dakota gear? Do we get Minnesota Dakota gear? <laughs> right? So Stanford Dakota gear is going to win by major decision over McLaughlin. Um, and that's what I'm going to pick. I'm going to have full faith in Dakota to go out and uh, finish that off and, and get the uh, put the pokes up 27 and nothing going into Mr. Fast Twitch's Matchup against Sean O'Malley, a senior from Hasbrock Heights, New Jersey, older brother of 174's Mike O'Malley. Um, Sean O'Malley actually beat Austin Harris in the 2019 duel 2 to 1 at heavyweight. Um, he's mostly wrestled heavyweight in his career. This year he's cut down to 197 pounds. Uh, just because he beat Austin Harris at heavyweight doesn't mean I, he's going to give AJ Ferrari a test. I think that AJ is going to uh, continue to treat these things like uh, shows, and I I think he wants to go get a tech fall. So I'm picking him to do that. I'm picking him to go get a tech fall, which is going to put the pokes up 32 to nothing. AJ, uh, um, I think that uh, he's uh, he's really backing up his talk, right? So um, I think that he's uh, really excited about this. He's going to be at home. I think he's been promoting on campus really well. Uh, he takes a lot of pictures around campus. He's, you know, the, the, the man out there uh, taking pictures at football games, taking pictures uh, with co-eds, you know, doing his thing, uh, being kind of a weirdo <laughs> on campus. But I think that's great. I think that people are going to show up to go watch the AJ Ferrari show. And I think he's going to give the people what he wants out there. So I'm really excited to see it. 
in how he performs in his first uh, home action of the season as a national champ. And then we'll go into the heavyweight match. Uh, Cerber is ranked number 31, and he'll take on Liam Dietrich, a freshman from Pauline, New York. Um, not much film out there on Dietrich. Uh, don't know much about him. He's a true freshman uh, this season. He's a he's a big kid. Um, didn't really wrestle much on junior circuits. Was a placer a couple times in the New York State Tournament. But uh, um, I think that Cerber's going to get back to the form that we saw him in at Stanford where he majored uh, Peter Ming. So I, I expect him to do that here at, against Dietrich as well. Ming is a, a really good wrestler. Um, and uh, I, I'd imagine that Cerber's going to uh, really want to seek to repair his reputation after um, the match against Gable. So uh, expect him to major as well and uh, get some bonus points there and finish this thing up with a 36-0 win for the Pokes. So a dominant opening duel uh, to the home stretch that the Pokes are in here uh, for the 2021-2022 season. And that's that's going to be that. So, um, yeah, a couple of history topics there for you. And then the duel recap. Um, really exciting stuff here for the Cowboys uh, Jason Hildreth asked another question. Uh, with many of the Cowboys being heavy favorites, what would you like to see the guys working on? Um, yet, I mean, I, I really want to see some of these guys work on stretching these matches out, right? Getting turns, um, working from the top. How are they going to be able to score more bonus points, right? I want to see major decisions. I want to see tech falls, and it would be great to see a pin or two, right? Pins get the people going. So if AJ can go get a pin, if Dayton can go get a pin, if G can go get a pin, you know, that's if gear can go get a pin, that's what really keeps people engaged. People love to see that. People love to um, experience it when it happens. You know, think back to Nick Piccinini over Spencer Lee. Yeah, that's a little bit different because Spencer Lee's Spencer Lee but uh, think about how it blew the roof off the building right pins always do that in Gallagher Iowa so people love to see it I think a lot of new fans are going to be in the building so really want to see them make it exciting for those new fans I'd like to also thank Oklahoma Wrestle Uh, they are posting Dynasty Defined on their feed on Rockfin. If you got to this podcast through the Rockfin feed, thank you so much for listening. Um, really excited to be partnered up with the folks at O Wrestle. Give them a follow on Twitter. And as always, please continue to ask me questions. We'll be back on Tuesday of next week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving with your family, even with your you know Sooner fan uncle who uh, is uneducated on how much his school that uh, he cheers for um, cares about wrestling. And, uh, you know, you can always inform them. You can always educate them. It's always more fun to talk about wrestling, and uh, especially wrestling in Oklahoma, than it is to talk about a lot of the other topics that your crazy uncle may bring up at the dinner table tomorrow or today. 
Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please participate here. Please ask questions uh, via the anchor link via uh, Twitter at Lee Cothran is where you can find me. And uh, we will see y'all on Tuesday to recap the Drexel duel. Looking forward to it. And go Pokes.